0: Welcome to the Gateway Research Organization podcast, research and extension led by farmers for farmers. Come grow with us. All right, well, let's kick this off tonight. Uh, Thank you very much for everybody who's attending. Um, We've started this Wednesday night networking because I believe that's something that's really missing in our industry this winter Uh, with all the close downs and shutdowns. Um, We can still take a course or take a seminar through Zoom, but we're really missing the networking, the sitting down at lunchtime and, you know, coffee breaks, chatting with the other participants at the conferences and the seminars we go to. I think over the last 20 years, that's probably been half my education is just from the networking, the contacts you make, the people you meet. So by all means, treat this like you're sitting at the table at a conference. Basically, this is brought to you tonight by uh, the Gateway Research Organization. Uh, Sandeep and Amber are actually a part of that, representing us here today, so they can give us a wave. Um, I've been a part of the Gateway Research Organization for over 20 years, and I think they're a um, very important part of our industry. All the applied research associations across our province, and I know there's other groups in other provinces and other states that these not-for-profit groups that do experiments and research and um, you know they make the mistake for us if, if you have an applied research association or a body of some kind close to you I highly recommend get involved with them you know be a member and uh, maybe even be a director and help guide where our research goes so I'm, I'm very uh, um, passionate about those applied research associations so and uh, I guess another sponsor would be us uh, Greener Pastures Ranching we're sponsoring um, we're doing this uh, just to try and get the networking out there because I, I think it's so important. So um, my my wife actually is Amber. She makes these videos. Uh, if anybody uh, needs a little bit of a promotion for their business or their uh, company or farm, Amber does some great videos. And I guess on my side of that, uh, I also do on-farm uh, consulting, which has now switched this year, obviously, to uh, one-on-one webinar consulting. So we can help you set up some e- uh, economic profiles, some cash flows grazing designs uh, look at a grazing chart anything like that so but uh, yeah and our uh, special guest is Joel Salatin tonight Uh, give us a wave Joel and I'm going to talk a little bit about him and then I'm going to let him talk about him Joel and I started working together a couple years ago he's been a huge mentor of mine for many many years and I have no idea how it happened But I am so grateful it did. But Joel and I started teaching a school together uh, called Take This Farm and Love It. And I absolutely love it. Um, It was such a great experience. And we have a lot of fun, don't we, Joel?
1: We sure do, yes.
0: (laughs) But Joel is uh, good enough to be here with us tonight. And a little bit of promotion for him. He's got a new book out. This is your new book, right, Joel? Polyface Designs?
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's just out.
0: Okay, do you want to describe what it's about a little bit better than, than what I can, and uh, tell people all about it?
1: Well, sure. The, the beauty of this book, Steve, is that um, if you don't want to read it, it weighs five pounds, so you can use it for weightlifting <laughs> for your weight workout program if, if you don't want to read it it's so big. Uh, it's 568 pages, um, four color, it's, uh, and, and it's, it's, it's all the design and portable infrastructure that we use here at Polyface. Plus a lot of other things, make your own head gate for cows, um, how to stack a hay wagon uh, with small square bales, how to build a wagon, um, axle weights, axle terminology. It, it, it's, it's this whole uh, uh, portable infrastructure and, and uh, hoop houses and uh deep bedding and um uh, pastured pigs and and the the um the protocols the specific the specifications how many how many square feet for per pig in a pig pasture how many square feet per cow in a in a loafing shed how many square feet per chicken in a winter you know housing situation uh it's all the specifications uh of all these things and it's a uh, I just can't say enough about it. It's um, it, it's literally a lifetime of work, you know, condensed into um, into this book. And so, it's been extremely well received. When it, when it came out, when it came out in uh, early September, my wildest dreams. I was hoping we'd sell, you know, a thousand of them by Christmas, and we sold five thousand in two weeks and ran out of our whole stock. We reprinted ten thousand and mostly. Supposed to be here um, uh, this week. We'll be starting to send again. Uh, it's expensive to make an expensive book print, but uh, believe me, if you're constructing anything, you want to know how to how to make a square structure. How to you know how to how to um, uh, use you know uh, boards and battens to. To uh, you know, square up something. You know, all of those kind of construction techniques—they're all in there. It's—it's it's a literally, it's an encyclopedia of um, you know of 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 instruction and construction.
0: Very cool, very cool. I'm sure it's going to be a fantastic uh, read. I'm definitely going to get one, and then I want a sign copy someday. That's that's my goal. Um, <laughs> uh, so tonight's topic. Um, Joel picked the topic. You were wanting to discuss the different types of grazing management within our regenerative grazing field, correct, Joel?
1: Yes. Well, I see a lot of tension. You want me to go ahead now?
0: Sure. You betcha. Let Let's introduce <laughs> and, and,
1: the topic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So very, very uh, quickly, and, and I'm glad to go wherever anybody wants to go. We don't have to. Certainly, we don't have to be uh, constrained to this topic. Uh, But, but one that I'll be writing about it in Stass Farmer as one of my editorials when I finally build up enough courage to, uh, enough courage to do that. But within the, within the grazing community, there's this tension between, between um, ecological succession and the exercise, the impact it takes to move ecological succession forward versus the take half and leave half, and and those two those two uh, ideas kind of militate against each other, and um, because you can't you can't move ecological succession forward if you if you take half and leave half. It's it's too gentle. It's too gentle on the landscape. And um, you know I remember in the early days of Stockman Grass Farmer uh, magazine, and I've read just about every issue that was ever published and um, I remember very well rules of thumb like you know if you don't if you don't have 40,000 pounds of animal weight per acre uh, at least once a year you can't move succession forward well how do you get 40,000 pounds of, of animal weight per acre you know it, um, uh, that's that's 40 animals per acre which I mean lots of times we go to hundred animals per acre and and so you've got this you got this this tension of of exercising or impacting um i mean i I remember i remember uh greg judy when he first started writing for stockman grass farmer um he was talking about all the things that he thought he knew that he found out were incorrect and one of them was one of them was you've got to be gentle across the landscape and um one of his secrets to to rejuvenating the the worn out farms that he did was um be called pounding it i mean pound it into the ground you know and that that awakens the seed bed it 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 it, uh, it allows sunlight into the you know underneath it um here's the problem if you do that every time it, it, if you do that every time it, it goes backwards and so so there's this um so so if, if you go through take half leave half so that you're doing Let's say, let's say, for example, you're doing the best you possibly can for the animals, and they never have to work. Well, then you also never work the landscape, and the landscape doesn't move to, you know, legumes, and and you don't you don't eat as much variety, and, and you tend to move toward, um, you know, toward weedier or whatever, less you know less less palatable species because that's the half that gets left, and, and so there's this there's this real tension and. Um, I don't know how many people know Dick Richardson. Dick Richardson's in, Aus- he was in South Africa. He's now moved to Australia. He was a protege of uh, Alan Savory. And, um, and he has wrestled with this question as well. He said, he said, if you look at animals, they never take half and leave half. If they like something, they eat it, you know, and they'll eat it to the ground. I mean, here on our farm in the, in the middle of the 1st of August, when we have volunteer, you know, Johnson grass and, and uh, summer annuals coming up in the, it, it, it just, you know, volunteering in the fields. I mean, no, the cows will go up to a, you know, to a, a, an eight foot grass plant. If they could pull it out by the roots, they would, you know, they take it right down and the, the grasses next to it, they don't touch uh, because this is their favorite, you know, their, their favorite dessert plant because they tend to select, you know, they, they, they have a very um, uh, sophisticated selection approach. So so um, Dick Richardson uh, developed a program he calls, it, because of this, this problem, Dick Richardson developed a program called sabbatical grazing, sabbatical grazing. And, and here's the, here it is in a nutshell. And those of you who are, who are expert graziers, um, I, I hope you can appreciate, we haven't done this at our farm. But I, I appreciate the thought process of this. So what he says is, he, he puts his he puts his uh, place on on a on a rotation. He says, imagine that you start at paddock, let's say paddock A, and successively through the paddocks. And when paddock A is ready to regraze, no matter where you are in the rotation, even if you even if you haven't grazed you know 30 percent of your place when paddock a is ready go back to it okay and you start the second rotation now that may mean that the the last paddocks way out there on the end they might not get grazed if it, if it's a really great year they might not get grazed at all this year they might just they, they, they might not be grazed at all uh, or maybe one time. And then next year, when you start, you start with paddock B or paddock C. And you do the same thing. And the point is that in seven years, in seven years, you've had you've had paddocks that some years have been grazed perfectly like a lawn. You know, the, the, you just, every time that grass gets up there nice, uh, you know, you, you grade again just okay and you have other paddocks that at least one year or a couple years in those seven years have been allowed to completely blow out and express themselves make a whole bunch of seed grow a bunch of moles and bulls and spiders and you know insects and everything and 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 just just uh, uh, go out of control okay the point being that this this creates a forced diversity a, a diversity of management across that uh, grass scape, the grass scape, all right? Um, uh, so that it forces you to, you know, when you go out there on that, on that grass that's blown out, you're not gonna take 50, you're, 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 gonna, you're gonna pound that and the animals actually, it's gonna be lignified, it's gonna be overblown. Not gain any weight on that this year on that particular paddock you might not gain any weight on it for a, for a day or two all right but what that pack does is it moves the overall succession forward that, that cannot be done when you're um, when you're taking half and leaving half all the time that, that take half leave half 100% of the time uh, is never going to is never going to create the 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 impaction and the and, and the uh, the 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 exercise the push in the ecology to move it forward, and so sometimes you have to. The, the point is that the whole ecology needs needs it needs it needs rest and massage sometimes, and it needs really heavy impact sometimes. And so, um, you know, one of, the, one of the coolest things that I've heard from Gabe Brown, for example, if you know Gabe Brown, he says the, one, the, only, about the only thing that I really know right now is to do something different. And so we kind of have these principles of grazing. Um, we kind of have these principles of grazing, but we also within that, within that context of principles of grazing, we also, part of, part of the built-in principle is don't do the same thing on the same paddock this year that you did last year. And, and and we know that if we do something different on that paddock this year than we did last year, we're going to see response. We're, we're going to see some sort of, of response. And um, so I won't belabor the point, but but that that tension between the take half, leave half, which seems like the best for the cows, and the and the pound it and stomp the liquefied carbon into the ground and, 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 uh, um, and don't feed the cows the best for a day or two. Those two things both have to occur, they both have to occur from time to time on a given field in order for that field to reach its full, you know, expressed, uh, expressed capacity.
0: Excellent, excellent, well said, Jewel. Uh, I don't have much to add to that. I mean, I agree with them hundred percent and by the way, Joel, we're allowed to disagree with each other. Uh, that's <laughs> part of the rule here. Uh, but I do agree with, with all that, um, Steve, I can't see
2: Joel ever just going along with you because yeah, I, I no. can't see that happening, <laughs>
0: but I might disagree with him. So I'm just warning him I might, but uh, no, I agree. Uh, the biggest thing I was, I was going to emphasize on that is I think change is one of the tools in our toolbox. Okay. Um, There's schools of thought in regenerative grazing where you are managing more for the animals and getting high quality. There's schools of thought in regenerative agriculture where you're managing for the land, right? We're going to get more root penetration. We're going to let some go to seed and replenish the seed bank. Um, They're all right, right? As long as we're following the principles like Joel was talking about, but we need to adjust it. We need to change it. Um, Change is our biggest uh, advantage we have. We can change the class of livestock. We can change the type of livestock. We can change when we graze certain paddocks, right? We can start paddock one this year and go to 20. And then next year we can start at paddock 10 and then, you know, go to 20 and then go back to do one to one to 10 again, or you can do it backwards, right? You can go in a reverse direction. That way you hit them at a different time of the year. Um, One year I might be more aggressive and have a short, shorter rest period. Um, may, one year I might want to heal the land, and and I need to have a longer rest period because that land just you know it needs a little bit different. We had a drought last year or something, um, so yeah, I think change is one of our, our best tools in this. As long as we're still keeping to our, our basic concepts, uh, yeah, I don't believe in any one school of thought in this. I think it's a um, it's a variety like like Joel said. So. Let's uh, open it up to questions, Amber, if you can kind of guide us along. I'm yeah, way behind for, right now. So
2: For intro here, just so you guys know, for anyone who hasn't been in on our Wednesday night sessions yet, these are happening every Wednesday night from 6 to 7.30. Um, and then afterwards, there's kind of a free networking part. So, you know, anyone who wants to leave. You can leave anytime. We're not going to lock you in here. But <laughs> you know, it, that's when the official part of the night's done. So it's a lot of fun, a little bit laid back, and yeah, yeah, it's good. Uh, so the first person up is Troy. Troy, are you there?
0: He was the keener that I asked really early, wasn't he?
2: Yeah, he was. Hold I on. I know he was...
0: Troy. He's a keener.
3: I am here.
2: Oh, there we go. <laughs> Hi, Troy.
3: Hi. Oh, I'm asking a question. Yeah, Whoa, what was your a, question? There's a lot of pressure here. <laughs> um, it's not related to grazing. It was related to uh, Joel's uh, taking the blog and writing a blog, I don't know how many times a week, and then uh, you know, talking about different things, maybe away from the grass farmer, and then getting hammered by critics and opening yourself up to you're opening up a can of worms to everybody and uh, it's taking a lot of heat. And I'm just wondering, how's that all going? Or how's that been? And what have you learned about people, yourself? And uh, should we continue to do that, those types of things? Ask the tough questions, hit the tough um, topics and see where it goes. Stimulate thinking, critical thinking. Thank okay. you.
0: Go ahead, Joel. Are you? Uh, did you learn from that, or is yeah. it uh, a, a growing experience?
1: Oh man, yeah. Wow, what a, what a year this has been. It's been uh, it's been incredible. Uh, there, so there, there's yeah. What a, a great thank you, Troy. That's a that's a it's it's a big question. So let me just try to answer it as quickly as I can. Uh, first of all, uh, I've learned that there's a big difference in in social interaction between the way I grew up with a typewriter snail mail and phone calls versus today's social media, Instagram, Twitter, and, and, and all these social media, you know, even today when I write emails, I don't use any abbreviations. I don't use any shorthand. I, I I see email as a letter. Uh, and I don't say, Hey, hey, so-and-so, I say, dear so-and-so, right, you know, um, what my point is that there's a very generational thing here, and so those of us that are older that bring our, our, uh, whatever, our life's decorum, um, expectations to this new medium, it's a it's a different world out there it's a really a different world out there so so um i always wanted to have a newspaper column an agriculture based newspaper column well that didn't happen until you know by the time newspapers are now passe i'm still a paper newspaper guy i get the paper newspaper um and and so that went away so what we've got now are these blogs and so I thought, well, what if I kind of did a little two minute, uh, thought piece every day and, 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 and and did that? Well, yeah, uh, the, what happened, here's what, here's, here's the, I guess the, the critical thing for us is we found out when I started this, my team at Polyface, which includes my family said, okay, we'll let you do this, but it's not going to be affiliated with Polyface. And wrongfully, we thought that I could write a blog and get a following that would be separate from Polyface. <laughs> That's impossible. I'm Polyface, and everybody knows it. And so, what happened was when Wendy, my personal assistant, and I, Polyface, would 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 pick some of these and and put them out on Instagram and on on you know other on just. Well, mainly, you know, Instagram and Facebook. I had we we had a totally different response on things on my blog. Every almost you know 99% of everybody on the blog loves me. I mean they're they're there because they, they appreciate my words, they appreciate my my take on things, and, and and they they love me, okay? But that's not true on our polyface Instagram. And Facebook accounts; those just go out into the universe where where it, it's a completely non-discriminatory audience. It comes in on my blog. You actually have to click. You know, you have to you have to subscribe, click, and 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 get it. You know, uh, these other things are way easier. So you have a much less discriminating, or let, let's put it this way: uh, you can't build a tribe. You can't build a tribe on Facebook. You can build a tribe on on blogging. You can build a tribe, but you can't build a tribe on Facebook. So the the big protocol change we've made in the last two weeks as as we've wrestled through all these things, the big protocol change is that Wendy is not going to repost any of my blogs on our polyface social media. That allows me to communicate with my tribe do what I want to do with them, and and our our polyface will be completely, you know, uh, 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 pictures of, of of animals, and you know it'll be the thing. The the other thing is that um, that in in business, you know, we have customers that are libertarians, social greenies, democrats, and republicans, and so in business. We have always been very careful about not for stickers, not, not creating partisan issues in the, in the farm store. And you know, we, we've been very careful about that. Well, we violated that with this, with this kind of melding of, of, here's what I'm thinking, um, melding that with the business. The business couldn't handle the, the eclecticism of the business customers could not handle, oh, I thought he was an organic farmer. You mean he's not a Democrat? You know, th- th- they couldn't handle that, all right? And so, so this created a, a, you know, a tremendous amount of, of, of turmoil. And um, so I won't belabor the point, Troy. It's, it's a great question. Uh, going forward, here's what we're doing going forward. Um, first of all, I'm only gonna blog about once a week. So I'm gonna drop it way down. And, and do it once a week, uh, which will help me to not go into the weeds as much. It, it'll, make, it'll, it'll help me to, 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 once a week, I've got something important and, and, and that's it. Um, number two, I'm going to um, hang a lot closer to farming and food. But the problem is politics and government regulation uh, inability to move, inability, you know, our restaurants going out of business, customers, uh, customers, how they handle the drop points. The thing is, it's hard. It's hard to not say anything about politics, current events, or 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 protocols um, because we interact with the public. You know, it's so so. All I'm saying is, I'm going to be more careful, and I have a a much greater respect for how hateful and uh, disrespectful people can be on social media and, and cancel culture, cancel culture is not a good thing. And we can't have respectful concert. I mean, instead of trying to build bridges, it's like, well, I agree with 95% of you, but since I agree, since I disagree with 5% of what you say, you're, you're the devil, you know, Um, instead of saying, Hey, let's talk about the 5% we agree with. It's it's an unbelievable climate where people are almost looking, looking and trolling for somebody to crucify. And and that's a real shame. And so I think going through that five of the year and and and, and understanding that, learning that um, you know, social media is not my is not my medium. I'm a very transparent, open, and man, I work with every ethnicity, sexual orientation. Uh, race, creed, all over the world. I've never had a, a prejudicial, you know, issue at all. But there are people who do, and are looking phrases and and words, and they read into things way more than you ever intended because they've got an agenda, and looking, they're they're looking for barriers instead of bridges. And then the next thing you know, you're sucked into this this horrible. Um, uh, this horrible thing that you didn't expect to be sucked into. So um, there we go. I hope that answers the question. And yeah. um,
0: sorry. We'll see, yeah. we'll see
1: what the new year brings.
0: I would, I would add to that too. Um, Joel's position and my position as well, where we are in the industry, um, we have to be a bit blunt, right? We're trying to change some uh, paradigms and move things around and we end up being a little bit blunt and yes, that's going, going to offend some people. Um, Some people need to be offended uh, and that gets them over the edge, but there's a fine line between uh, where people get mad and just get offended and think about it for a bit. So it's part of the, part of the game, I think. So, okay. Amber, you want to grab another one?
2: Yeah, I have to say thanks, Joel. I, I personally am one of the people that love you, and I think that your, your writing is absolutely incredible. So I'm happy that you do it and I, that you're, you're, just, you know, not backing off just because there's some awful people out there. So I want to thank you for that. Um, and that kind of leads into Aaron's question. So Aaron Nirbaz was actually one of our guest speakers just a couple of weeks ago. Um, Aaron, are you ready to go?
4: Yep, you bet. Great. Hey Mike I apologize my question is not grazing related I kind of forgot about that before I typed it in there but it's just kind of a broad general question for Joel um, like it's obvious you become a, a prominent figure in the regenerative movement uh, whether you intended to or not maybe you can make a comment on that but just along your journey do you have any regrets and anything you'd do differently knowing what you know now?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, uh, first of all, I didn't intend this to happen. <laughs> that 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 was not on the that was not on the uh, the agenda. You know, um, uh, 40 years ago, uh, we just wanted a farm, and the 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 idea that we would only um, the idea that that here these this young couple with without any money could actually make a living on a on a small farm. You know, that was a an unusual, unusual story, and so you know, it just, it just, uh, it just happened, not because we intended it, not because we, it was certainly it was never in our plan, uh, but but here we are, and fortunately, fortunately, I'll say this that um, all of my background in the in in debate, theater, drama, uh, forensics, public speaking, um, instead of instead of playing basketball and football all of that and i'm not i'm not opposed to, don't read into that yeah i'm not opposed to basketball and football I, I i'm just i'm just saying that and and if you have if you've read any of my stuff recently you know that a couple of times i've mentioned that one of the best things that ever happened to me was being cut from the seventh grade uh, baseball team i tried out and then i tried out for the eighth grade basketball team and didn't make it and and um And those two, those two failures being cut from those two teams helped to, to push me into, into my, my talent, which was communication. And, um, and I'm so thankful. I, I tell, I tell young people today, you know, middle schoolers and kids be thankful when you get, when you fail at something, because, because often that helps you uh, know what you're good at, what you love, what it, 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 it helps to move you to a, to a sweet spot of life where you actually discover, um, oh, well, you know, huh, I'm really not good at that. Why am I doing that? Well, because dad wants me to, because mom wants me to, because aunt Sally wants me to, you know, I'm not really doing that because I want to do that. And, and sometimes these, these, and so be thankful for those early failures that help to steer you into into your talent, into your into your skill level. So um, so I'm very grateful that that I had those experiences, and then it steered me into this 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 communication um, uh, thing, which you know prepped me to be able to speak and write and 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 communicate. So I'm very cognizant that that we're not necessarily better farmers than anybody. Um, but, but we've been through an ability to communicate, to communicate uh, perhaps, you know, better than most. And, and therein lies a bit of the, you know, whatever the, 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 uh, the secret sauce, if you will. So uh, the journey, what would I have done differently? Um, well, of course, you know, when, when we came in 1961 and I grew up here, um, man, I wish I had known, I wish I would have known then, I know now, I mean, you know, um, Alan Savory didn't exist back then. Well, he existed, but he he wasn't he wasn't doing anything. Um, uh, you know, a, electric fence was was uh, very uh, non dependable. Um, you know, uh, shoot, a little four wheel drive, very inexpensive four wheel drive uh, tractors with a front end loader. Um, you know, all you had was a you know was a was a, a bucket with a trip you no know, a trip thing on it. You couldn't you couldn't manipulate the bucket. I mean. Uh, Chainsaws, I mean, the the modern chainsaw, as we know it, is only, really only came into its own in 1957. Uh, That's amazing for me to think, I I can scarcely imagine life without a, without a chainsaw. Um, And and so in those days, you know, we didn't know a lot of what we know today. So I can look back and, well, if I'd have, if I'd have had the electric fence I have today, if I'd have had, you know, the, 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 the carbon capability I have today. if I'd have had you know known all this, if I'd have known Bud Williams you know instead of you know whacking and yelling and, and slapping cows, it, you know, it, it, if I had known all that it would have been wonderful. So when you look back, you realize a lot of the changes you would make are simply changes that I would have made if I'd have had the infrastructure or the knowledge that I, that I have today. It, it's not that I made mistakes. And it's not that that uh, that we were doing bad things. It was just that the the movement had not matured to the point where it is today. So you look back and say, "Man, I wish, I wish, I wish." Well, you know, <laughs> you, you you can't you can't invent what hasn't invented yet, and you can't use what hasn't been developed yet. So um, so if, if I were to say the largest mistake, probably the largest mistake. Uh, Well, I mean, there have been numerous mistakes. One is trying to make anything out of PVC. Don't ever make anything out of PVC except water pipes. PVC works good for water pipes. It doesn't work good for anything else. Don't ever make a structure out of PVC. I've tried several times. No, big mistake, never make a structure out of PVC. Um, uh, Another, you know, other, other probably the biggest mistake, and Steve, I know you'll appreciate this, The biggest mistake was probably not developing partnerships that complemented my weaknesses as early as I should have or could have. We farmers, we are an independent bunch of cusses, and we, we really don't want, you know, a lot of us have a better relationship with our equipment than we have with our wives, and so um and i'm saying there aren't there aren't are women farmers don't 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 read into that either but, but our our spouses sorry our spouses all right um you to know, get politically correct here anyway um the, the the fact is that most of us stubbornly do things that we're not good at we don't want to hire somebody we don't want to build a relationship we don't want to complicate our lives with another friendship you know that could go bad or south or mistreat us and so we stubbornly move on independently on our own doing things that we don't enjoy and we're not. And I think that that's a pretty common weak link on farms is just, where am I weak? Now, how can I figure out a way to not do the weak stuff and to do more of the stuff where I'm strong? And that requires partnerships and partnerships are the most, it's a lot easier to have a partnership with a cow than a partnership with a person. Because a cow is always happy to see you. She never argues with you. Uh, she comes when you call. People aren't like that. And and so uh, I say, I would say that, that if I could change one thing that I should have known better, it was it would have been to um, to develop a a, a a better team a better team earlier uh, in the in this.
0: I would agree with that. I mean, I've said for a long time that human resources is the most important part of my business, right? Everything else would, uh, I've lost the most money because of dealing with people. So yeah, we got to be able to communicate. We have to be able to uh, make business arrangements that work and, you know, trust people and build trust is, is a big, big part of it too. So um, uh, Joel, just as a comment to your uh, you, you didn't make it, the basketball team and you didn't make it on the baseball team that's okay um i tell my daughters right they're all in that you know getting in that boy crazy stage right now i always tell them my best advice is go for the nerd
2: that's what steve (laughs) did that's what steve did
0: (laughs) go for the nerd go ahead amber we got another one
2: uh yeah so next up we have connor english connor you got your you ready to go there
5: hey yeah Um, so I had a question about marketing for both, uh, you, Steve and Joel, um, I'm, I'm seeing marketing as being a very important piece of a farmer ranching operation now. Um, and I think that ties both into how we do things on the farm, as well as products that we may have to offer off of the farm, whether that be direct marketing sale, meat sales or, or livestock to other producers. Um, so I was just wondering for both of you, Um, Do you guys set aside a certain amount of time during a week to focus on marketing and, and where have you found the areas that um, do the best, I guess, where have you got the most luck out of um, putting your time towards marketing? Uh,
0: Marketing for me um, pretty minimal because I just do my, what I do, right. I'm more marketing myself my services, I don't as much have a product to sell. Uh, we do have a little bit of pasture pork, but it's pretty minor. Um, I think we can, you know, my answer to that is following up on what Joel just referred to is, um, you know, if you're not good at marketing, you don't like marketing, you find someone that is sign, find someone that's passionate about it and get them to do it for you. So, um, I'm not a huge marketer. I mean, I'll let uh, Joel answer this as well, but, um, for me, um, I stick to what I'm good at and I find somebody else to do, you know, what I'm not good at. So that's where I would look at for my marketing. Um, For me, I market myself, my, you know, my custom grazing, that's a, that's a service, that's a skill, that's not a product. Um, My, even my teaching, right. I'm out all the time, talking to people all the time. Um, Really all I'm doing is marketing myself. Um, A little different than trying to sell, you know, pasture pork or pasture chickens or uh, things like that. So, um, yeah, but if you don't like doing something, find someone that does, they'll do a much better job at it is what I've found.
1: Yeah. It's always, it's always nice to go second. Um, cause you can, you can, uh, build a little bit on what the other guy said. So, um, so I, I would say, uh, the quick answer, the quick answer is, uh, how much time do I spend on it? Uh, 24, seven, uh, Alan, Alan Nation, founder of Stopman Grass Farmer, and of course one of my greatest mentors, said, um, said you eat, drink, and sleep marketing because of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And He, he called the four horsemen of the apocalypse, he called them uh, divorce, dislocation, disemployment, and disenfranchisement. And uh, that that names the four the four kind of things that can make a customer leave you, um, and so uh, so it doesn't matter the size or the uh, of your business. Um, it's all about retaining the customers you have, and it's about replacing the customers who leave because you will never retain all the customers you have. There is always a turnover. Every single business has a turnover of people. So, so literally, um, you know, throughout the week, you know, I'm, I'm. When my mind wanders, it wanders to. When my mind wanders, it wanders to. What's going on in the world? How can they relevant? How can we message better? How can we tell our story better? How can we help our customers better? You know, those kinds of things are constantly coming through my mind. So, how do you, how do you stoke that boiler? So I've got a couple of ideas. Um, one is I read a lot of marketing books. Um, behind me is a bookshelf, and I've got I don't know what 150 um, marketing books. Uh, all sorts of uh, you know marketing to millennials. I mean, there's now even books how to market to a millennial. Um, yeah, I've got one how to how to how to market to uh, to to how to market to the entitled. Uh, everybody's entitled now. So how do you market to a person who feels entitled? I mean, the, it's very sophisticated now all this but but you got to you got to, you got uh, to sit at the feet of the gurus, you know, if you, if you want to get good at something. Um, you know, you, you've got to got to immerse yourself in the gurus. Um, next is I read trends. So I read, I, I try to stay up on, on on trends of what's happening. And, um, and of course, one of those big trends right now is contactless, contactless retail. So if your if your uh, uh, interface with your customers requires physical physical presence, you're on the cusp of being obsolete. So somehow you've got to figure out how to create contactless retail. That's the that's the trend I'm doing on Amazon. Think about as big as Amazon was coming into 2020. This year, Amazon doubled in eight months from what it was February 2020. Think about that. A big company like Amazon doubled yet in eight months. that's 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 unheard of. you know I was I was telling Teresa the other day, man, I wish I uh, wish I'd uh, bought Amazon stock and stock in, uh, in box corrugated boxes, you know making cardboard boxes because everything that used to be on store shelves, is now being shipped door to door in in boxes, and so you know the the, the cardboard box manufacturers are making a killing. Um, and then and then I would say the the third thing is to uh, to hone your messaging. Probably the single valuable lesson that that I learned about marketing in the last uh, I'll say two years is the importance. And I've always heard this, but it never really soaked in and, and until a couple of years ago. And it, was, it is to message in a way that is meaningful to a customer. Now, Simon Sinek wrote the book, um, Marketing or Start With Why. And, and he made the point that, um, that all of us know what we do. Some of us know how we do it, but very few can tell why we do it, but that's what our customer wants to hear. Our customer doesn't want to hear what you do. They don't even want to hear how you do it. They want to hear why you do it. And they want to hear, they want to hear the why in terms that make sense to them. So I actually went through a last year um, when we started shipping. So we started shipping July 4th of 2019, 2019. July 4th, 2019, we started shipping nationwide. Took a lot of heat for it, actually, but we started shipping. And I actually, when I, when I really got a hold of this idea, I sat down and I, you know, I didn't do a yoga trance or anything, but I really, I just closed my eyes, and said, said, look, I'm one of my customers. What do I need? What do I need to? Do? And I wrote up, I just started practicing writing up little like one-minute messaging snippets, like I'm I'm in the supermarket, I'm looking at all of these confusing labels. What do I need right now? I need a white knight to come and rescue me from the confusion of labels. So I did one on on stop being confused by uh, um, uh, that. That I did a message that said, look. I know, I know um, uh, how confused you are looking at these labels in the supermarket. And am, am I really buying the right thing for my kids? Am I really, you know, uh, uh, taking care of my family well? Well, let Polyface eliminate the confusion and eliminate the tension in your life. You can trust us uh, with your with the with the lives of your kids. All right. It, it's let me tell you, it is hard. It is hard to go to that length, to put yourself in that position of your customer. But if you can ever get to that point where you can close your eyes, imagine you're your own, you're your customer, what is my world like? I've got to get the kids to a soccer game. I've got to, it's four o'clock, I'm gonna get some, um, there's a sniffle. Uh, how can I make sure my kids are eating properly? Think about the life of your customer and then message how you can solve that customer's needs, if you can get to that point in your messaging, you've just hit a marketing home run.
0: Awesome, well, thank you very much for both your inputs there. Thanks, Joel. Um, one thing to add to that, Connor, um, in today's marketing, um, what I was told many years ago is that we need on like online marketing and you know Facebook, Twitter, all sorts of things like that. Um, we need to give 80%. And then that leaves 20% of an ask. So if you're trying to sell something online um, to get a following, to get customers to engage, to be a part of it, you have to give 80% information, time, whatever. Like if you, you know, if you've got a I'm not very good at it on my Facebook trading post page, my trading post page, because that's where we sell our pork. And I'm not on it very much. So that one's a that's the one I should be doing it if it was to grow. But uh, if we can give 80%, right, information, you know, uh, even if it's just a communication or questions or asking or giving data, whatever it is, so that people would be engaged in it, then they're not offended when you ask, right? Oh, by the way, right, you could buy this product. But if you're constantly asking, right, here's a product you can buy, here's a product you can buy, here's a product you can buy, um, then that can become offensive, so I stick to that rule of 80% a, uh, give and 20% ask. Um, I think that's been uh, pretty successful for us in the long run. So
1: if I could add one thing to that, let me, uh, yeah, I think uh, Steve, you're exactly right. If I could add one more thing to that, it is this, it is that your customers, your customers expect you to be the expert. And that means that you have to immerse yourself in the uh, in the information of the trade. Um, so if you're if you're direct marketing a branded food product, you need to know about what factory pigs are like. You need to know the nutrition of your pigs. You need to know cooking quality, eating quality. You, 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 need, you need to know um, uh, from production to plate. You, you, you need for your customers to, to believe that you are the world expert in this item and so that means you've got a you know uh when you ask how much time do you spend marketing well when when i read when i read food articles or i read about genetic engineering or genetically modified foods or what what that's all part of my marketing because now i can give my customer a tidbit of information they can feel empowered ah all right i learned something today and 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 they will then trust you to make those decisions for them because, well, after all, you know, he knows why. Look, listen, she knows. She's the, you know, she's a talking, uh, you know, wizard. All right, and and you you want to have yourself in that position for I
2: Excellent. think too that you don't. Don't be afraid to think outside of the box, like in, in any type of agriculture, but especially in marketing, it doesn't have to be something that, you know, is a chore. So let's say you like doing videography. (laughs) That's myself, right? Um, Let's say you like writing. You want to write a blog post, like getting that information out to people doesn't have to be a chore. It can tie into, to something that you also love doing that you can grow in, in a different skill as well.
5: Awesome. Thank you very much, guys. You bet.
2: Um, next up, we have Phil. Phil, are you ready?
0: Hi, guys. Uh, my name's Phil. I'm from uh Oxriff, Ontario, just outside of uh, Dryden. Uh, and so my question uh, pertains to what Joel opened with in regards to changing up how you work a field between uh, how you attack it with grazing. So my question is, in our area, we have an extremely short growing season uh, due to how cold it is and how north we are. So we need to be as efficient as possible with things. Would it be efficient to use the uh, half-half method on your first pass and then on your second rotation do the full graze or full hay? And I just wanted to hear your guys' thoughts on that. Okay. Uh, my thoughts on that would be um, definitely um, you're talking about doing kind of a mixed grazing and haying. Uh, definitely good for a hay field. I wouldn't do it the same way. The way you just described it, do a half and half the first time and then hit it harder the next time. I wouldn't do it the same way every time, right? Um, Change it up. Uh, One time, do it one way. You know, one one way, do it another way. Um, I think that that change is the, like I said earlier, is the important part to that. Um, Now, I'm probably got just the same growing season as you. Um, To me, it's important to Differentiate what we're trying to uh, manage with that land. Okay, so at this particular time on this particular paddock with this particular herd, managing for building the soil, are we managing for um, you know repairing the water cycle? Are we managing for the animal? Right? Maybe it's really hot, and I'm going to change my management from maybe from managing the grass to managing for the animal. Right? And in my cases, if it's really hot or really cold, well, they might be in the bush. Right? They might have some protection. So I change the the reason or how I manage depends on that particular day. What am I managing for? Maybe I'm managing for some cash flow, right? We we were really nice to it last year. We left extra residue. We put some seeds back in the in the seed bank and we got some good rain this year. Man, let's manage for some cash flow this year. We'll we'll take take some more off there. Or maybe we're we've got a, a group of finishing animals on there and some yearlings that we really want to gain well on them. So this this year I'm gonna manage for that. The year after that, maybe we got some cow calf pears out there. Um, so it's the change in there. So I wouldn't, I can't give you a recipe because that's not what what regenerative agriculture is. It's an adjustment. It's a change. It's a, it's a what's happening right now this year. As long as we're following those concepts.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. Though that that's really great, Steve. And I, I, I would just, I would concur. And I would simply say, Phil, yeah, you know, your question is valid. I, I think I, I'm trying figure out how to answer it the the, the best way so that you get wh- where I'm going with this um 50 50 look the first time through you, you don't want to you don't. you definitely don't want to grate hard the first you, we always called it creaming it we want to cream it the first time through uh so there's a very light graze line and there's a lot of leaf left and it's going to grow back fast I, I totally get that first time through. Uh, my, my problem with second time through, you know, harder and hay or whatever, I, I guess I, I, I would simply say yes, just to make sure that you do the same thing on the same field every year. Um, in other words, as you start moving through that road, I get the first time through, you're going to graze everything. We do. We graze everything. All, all, you know, hay fields, everything, you know, we graze hay. And then as the grass gets ahead of us, then you start dropping paddocks for hay. But in general, you want to, I hayed this field last year. I'm not gonna hay it for two years, I'm let it rest. I might pound it this year, do a 50-50 next year and hay it the third year, are you with me? So as long as, long as, as you understand that you're gonna be touching differently year to year, um i think that that's that's a pretty decent insurance policy understanding that somewhere you're going to make hay somewhere you're going to let it blow out somewhere you're going to pound it and somewhere you're going to 50 50 it you know those are all different you know different uh, uh ways and as long as you sh- shuffle that deck as long as you shuffle that deck every year you're going to protect yourself from from uh, stagnation or, or degeneration of the, um, of the vegetation.
0: Right. Thank you, guys. Yeah, nature never did the same thing twice, right? It, it always changed before we were here. So I think that's an important part to that.
1: You mean the bison and the wolves didn't look at the calendar every Monday morning <laughs> to decide where the they were supposed to be in?
0: Exactly. <laughs>
1: um next
2: up we have clay clay you want to go ahead
5: yeah i'll go Um, there we go i guess the question that came to my mind while joel was talking about sabbatical grazing uh the other thing i I did want to say though uh steve encouraged disagreement so i wanted to disagree with joel right off the bat and say that you can build a tribe on facebook and instagram it just happens to be a tribe of cannibals (laughs) But, uh, you know, the other, the other thing I wanted to say is uh, ask, I guess, and I've got a follow-up question to this if you'll entertain it. Um, to employ sab- sabbatical grazing, uh, do we just put the paddocks in a rotation and let them have their Sabbath when their year comes? Or do we try to figure out which paddocks need the sabbatical this year because of what happened there last year, two years ago, whatever?
1: Okay, yeah. Um, a- according to uh, Dick Richardson – um he he would not wrote he would he makes it a pretty good rotation he just says he just says um start on a different paddock every year and go through that rotation you know on a on a on a on an extra on a year where you have a lot of extra forage you might not graze two. on a year of a drought you might graze them all um but the but the point is that if if you if you and I hate to use the word rigid. He, Bob, would not like me to use the word rigid. But, but, but a, a, a rotated start time, and without regard to weather and year, and just make sure you start in a different paddock and go through that rotation. His position is it's too easy to cheat. It's too easy to to to, to look at things and say, oh well, let you know. He thinks it's too easy to get off of what's best for the ecology and 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 violate and violate the necessary uh, diversity d- diversity that we need to bring to the landscape and so i think i'm pretty sure dick would say stay with the program just just bring diversity to the rotation and it will all it will work out over time just bring it start a different place every year
0: one of the things I do, Clay, with that is in, in my plan is I'm going to pick the worst paddock, right? I mean, if we've got 20 or 30 paddocks out there, I'll pick the wor- Which one needs needs healing the most? And I'll already have that pre-planned that, you know what, that one I might just hit real, real light in the spring just to stimulate it a bit. And then I'll let it go, right? So I'll let it get mature and let it go to seed even. And then maybe the next spring I'll send animals out there and tromp it to the ground. Right. So it's a different management, but it's for the land, not necessarily for the animals. And if you pull one paddock out every year, you know, after so many years, you've got them all pretty well that um, you've given that break to and and stomped it down. One of the things I learned here most recently, probably, is the difference between stomping down uh, dead grass and live grass. If you stomp down uh, green growing matter, you're going to increase your bacterial percentage or your ratio in the, in the soil. If you're stomping down dead grass, then you're going to increase your fungal ratio, the fungal side of that ratio. So that's an interesting concept. What are you trying to build in your soil? Uh, And, and maybe you do it differently every third year type of thing. Right. Um, But yeah, that's, that's my two cents and you had a follow-up.
5: Yeah. So I was just thinking um, while I was listening to is, is it best to have that, that chunk that is in sabbatical uh, all contiguous or would there be benefit to uh skipping like so you've got you've got your paddock set up and you've got some some a paddock adjacent to it but skip that paddock and go to the next one so that uh every every seven years there's something that's getting rested that was kind of is there is it worth the trouble to have them or is it easy, best to just keep it simple and and uh keep your rotation moving in the same direction
0: that would depend on how complicated your system is right there's certain parts you know some of my smaller cells oh boy i could skip anyone at any time they're all connected they're all close they're easy to do but some of my larger cells uh, i mean 1700 acres there's a certain order you kind of have to go in because you got to go down the road to them right you're not gonna skip this one and come back to it it's once you skipped it it's done so depends on the system but uh again just keep it flexible and keep it changeable um, it's not a recipe
2: um christine campbell you are up next all right um well thanks
6: so much you guys this is great um i am with alice canada and um, my question is you know maybe a little bit of a, a naive one but i'm gonna go for it anyways. So I recognize that there's no real recipe for these kinds of things, but um, I'm kind of looking for the recipe or the cookbook anyways. (laughs) Um, Looking into more um, like mob grazing and adaptive multi-paddock grazing practices and ways that we could um, sort of encourage or support some of those practices. And so I'm wondering what your um, input is on those um, those particular um, practices and like if you had advice for somebody or sort of like a um, you know a couple of steps or guideposts that you would say are um, you know, must-haves what would those look like or what would those be?
0: So okay clear that up a little bit for me again so you're looking for guidance on how to get into regenerative agriculture?
6: Yeah, so, I, I mean, specifically looking at um, grazing using, like, a, adaptive um, approaches and, like, the regenerative approaches. And, I'm, I mean, essentially what I would like to do at the, the end of the day is sort of um, create a, a little bit of, I, I don't want to say, like, a protocol, but, like, um, a guide of how to implement some of those kinds of things. So I'm wondering if there's like maybe even resources that you have found helpful would be.
0: Okay, I guess that would be my answer is education, right? Um, Management of the manager is probably the most important part of any business, I think. Um, Take schools, take courses. And like we're we're talking here about the difference between different types of grazing within our regenerative, right? We're not talking about continuous grazing. There's just different schools of thought within our, our regenerative grazing. And I honestly think you should learn from all of them, right? I I wrote an article here a while ago talking about the pastor preachers, right? we got a whole bunch of different pastor preachers all kind of preaching the same thing, but it's a little bit of a, from a different angle. Um, You should learn from all of them. Um, I mean, I could give you a list of books and schools and courses to take uh, because that's where I've got my education from. I remember, uh, you know, I went to college years ago and I, I was learning all these things about agriculture. And then I came out and I sat in a conference with Alan Savory. And it blew me away that none of the stuff that he was talking about was being taught in, in the universities and the colleges. And it, it was just hitting home so hard. So from there, it just it's a snowball effect. Um, I don't think I have time right now today, but I can add it to the chat here maybe of all the different resources that I, I would recommend people to, to do and go, go try. Um, There's so much information out there in private industry that we can, that's where my education came from. So I don't know if that really answered your question, but that's where um, the recipe I would give is keep learning, never stop learning, keep going to conferences, keep doing networking like we're doing right now. Um, That's where my education's come from, Uh, probably 98% of it. Great advice.
1: Uh, I I would just add to that. I I, I second that uh, all that Steve said. I would just add that there's nothing beats experience. Um, we live in a very impatient world now, uh, where people want everything right now. And if you've if you've read about you know 10, uh, 10, hours or ten years, you know those kinds of things of, of what it takes. You know uh, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan uh, is said to have said every every basket he made on the court. Was represented by a thousand that he took, not in a game. And um, Alanation used to say, "You can't Google experience." And so, uh, so at the end of the day, um, there is no recipe for you. There's no uh, rigid, you know, um, uh, diet, or whatever regimen for you. Um, you just have to jump in. You know, it's just like any other skill. You you read, you learn, you sit under mentors, you you get information, and then you finally you finally have to get on a bicycle. You know, you, you can read for a million years about how to ride a bicycle, but until you get on a bicycle, you know, you're never going to really know how to ride a bicycle. So uh, so this is a lot like that. Um, get on a bicycle. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks.
2: Great. Um, next up, we have Becky Doherty. Uh, Becky is actually going to be one of our feature farmers for the. If you've been following the Grow video series, I'll I'll link the YouTube chat. So she's going to be upcoming as one of our feature farmers. So shameless plug here. Um, but Becky, if you want to go ahead,
0: it's it was actually
2: there. We go. Hi guys. John's
0: question. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was wondering if um, when you're trying to uh, grass finish, like yearlings or two year old animals, if you're rotating them at the same frequency as you would do like uh, cow-calf pairs.
1: Yes, yes. We, we rotate everything uh, once a day. We've even done, if, if it gets real wet, we'll even rotate them twice a day to try to take, you know, uh, uh, pressure off the ground um, by, mo- you know, moving them quicker and so yeah we absolutely we try to move everything at least daily and um and that includes cow calf pairs plus the 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 finishing herd i think the the main thing about the uh the finishers is that um that we run them in a separate herd we we tend to not run them with the calf pairs or if you want to run cow calf pairs and let the calves creep creep graze ahead of the cows so you're running a leader follower or a creep system. You can let those finishers run ahead with those calves um, as, as a leader follower. Uh, that also works so that you let the finishers cream and then the, the and the calves can also cream but the cows can come in and clean up. Uh, the and That's where Steve was talking about the class livestock. You, so some of the diversity in this whole grazing program is about the class of livestock. This is one of the big problems with, uh, with grass-based dairy. Um, I, I took some heat writing an editorial for Stopman Grass Farmer uh, that I'm not sure that an all grass dairy with nothing but dairy cows can actually have um, ecological integrity. Because if all the farm has is dairy cows, that's one class of livestock with one class of forage capability, and it's very, very as much as we've talked here about <laughs> diversity and changing things up, uh, uh, if all you have is a lactating dairy cow on a on a farm, it's very difficult to get any level of of change up in in grazing uh, when when you're when you're grazing only one you know one type of animal.
0: Uh, I would add to that that. Uh depending on which paddock i'm in as well um definitely try and keep my yearlings or anything that i'm trying to gain weight on um keep keep the grass in a younger vegetative state Um, if i'm going to go through an area that doesn't have that good like i've got a bunch of bush paddocks in the middle of all my other paddocks well if i'm grazing yearlings in there i'm going to go a lot quicker through there and just let them take the cream of the crop and then leave it next year. I might come through there with the cows and, and well, they'll, they can sit in there a little bit longer and knock it down. Right. Um, So what's happening, you know, what that, what's the goal on that herd right now today, that's how I'm going to change my grazing and definitely I'll, I'll graze my cow calf pairs a little different than my yearlings um, because we're looking for gain on the yearlings. And we're, we're looking for most of my customers as a custom grazer, they're looking for the longer grazing season. Right. That's their goal. Not necessarily, you know, two pounds a gain per, per head per day. They want to know if I can keep those animals till November. Um, that's their priority. So again, I'm, I'm in the middle where I'm, you know, what is my priorities versus what are my customers priorities versus what is the land's priority, right? How do I juggle those all together? And yeah, it's a, it's a decision you make right there, then and there, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. But uh, yeah, give us... Gave me some info to go on for sure.
2: So it looks like Julie might have logged off. I can't get a hold of her there, but I think it's a, this is a really good question. So, so I think this is a good one to be answering. How do we deal with forestry area? Must we lumber everything or do we have to keep wildlife and ecosystem and deal with it?
4: Uh, so Hember, uh, in a, I am oh, a, there you are. Is it online.
2: <laughs> yeah, we can hear you. Go ahead.
4: Uh, so uh, hello, everybody. I'm in the uh, northeast in Quebec area. Uh, here, we have a lot of uh, evergreens area. It's most like uh, lumber. Um, for reason, it's always uh, forest. Uh, I'm the fourth generation here on the land. And uh, <clears throat> uh, the main question is, uh, we have um, a small farm here, you know, like in uh, 80 acres. Like uh, forty oh, acres, like land on and forty acres mm-hmm.
2: and, uh, and I was
4: asking, like, uh,
2: yes. just one completely. one second there. Sorry. Um. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> sorry. Go ahead. We couldn't oh, hear sorry.
4: you. Uh, here is completely like in uh, my grandmother is the only owner of the land, and uh like uh, we I, I would like to lumber some uh, part of land like to make some pasture in the a fields but it's complicated like I would like to like in re- re- regenerative agriculture I would like to um, cut some pasture and uh, keep it but uh, I would like to ask to Joel and Steve in the mind of uh, re- regenerative, here is, uh, do I keep some place in forest and keep like some pasture and for uh, windbreaks and places to graze? Or do we have to, because some older uh, farmers told me that keep it grazed, just cut some of like the, sl- the lamb, cut it, graze it, just the cattle go to graze it, and then uh, five or six years and then go it and uh, plow it or just uh, keep it like a, a old windbreak, keep the graze land off and just keep the all, th- all trees up to there and don't touch it.
0: Okay, so I'll, I'll take that one first. Um, I don't do a lot of logging or anything. Um, I've got a lot of trees, but it's all on leased land. So I'm not, you know, that's not my department anyway. Um, I'm not a big fan of knocking down bush. Right, We've done way too much of that in our industry. Um, uh, It's kind of an offense to me to be knocking down trees all the time. We we complain about other countries that are burning the rainforest and knocking it down, but we have just as much trees getting knocked down here. We just did it 50 years ago. Um, So I'm a big fan of managing my forested areas for forested areas. Uh, Nothing is sustainable without another generation coming underneath it. So I'm not against... um, uh, you know, well-planned um, harvesting of of woodlots, but as long as we have a plan to regenerate them, um, nothing sustainable, you know, our pastures aren't sustainable without new seedlings being developed. Our forests are not sustainable without the saplings growing up. So when I'm in there grazing a, a forested area, I'm thinking about that. Like, are we in there too hard, too much, and we're knocking down all the saplings, or are we treating it nice so that we've got a nice... Um, regenerative system that we're not going to wipe out those trees. Um, A lot of people, even if they're just grazing bushland, they just hit it too hard, too long, too often. And we end up with a bunch of old mature trees and no young ones coming in. So in the long run, that's not sustainable. So um, I don't know your farm. I don't know your system. Uh, I know for, you know, on my ranch where I am, I'm at, we're in a forested area and I've never bulldozed a, a, a field in my life. But I know that a lot of people have before me. So in my environment, I wouldn't have a whole bunch of pasture without that, but, um, I'm not a big fan of knocking, knocking trees down. Um, I like to manage them, uh, as a forested area. I still might graze them, but, uh, um, manage it for that. So I don't know if that answered your question, but I'll let Joel ta- tackle that one. He's much more of a, uh, a, a lumberman than I am.
1: <laughs> uh, <clears throat> yeah. Um, uh... Of course, we're in these Appalachian hardwoods down here, as opposed to the arboreal forests of Quebec uh, with these big conifers. And, um, uh, you know, in general, I like to think of a landscape as a mosaic. And so rather than a, rather than a block of forest and a block of open land, think about how you can, you can work with the terrain to develop a mosaic of 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 additional edge effect, so um, you know uh, uh, in my book, uh, sheer ecstasy of being a lunatic farmer. One of the chapters is no straight fences, and and or, or I think the chapter is uh, crooked fences. Yeah, crooked fences. And and um, and the uh, and, and on our farm, if you came to visit us, you wouldn't see a straight fence on the place. Everything is crooked. Because the terrain is crooked, and so all I'm going to say is we use the terrain, the terrain, the the hillsides and things to define um, what is more suited to forest, what is more suited to open. I don't know how flat your flat your land is there and where you are in Quebec, but I if you have undulation.
4: I, you have a lift of hills uh, and. You have a lot of uh, deep, deep area where there is a river and creeks, so it's that that's where it's difficult to land. It's not like the Great Plains, like west. so it's right. difficult to,
1: to to use like uh, for cattle. Okay, so it sounds it sounds like it sounds like you're much much more in terrain. You're much more similar to us, and so I, all I would encourage you. Um, is my general rule of thumb is uh, every farm should have at least 25% forest, um, no more than no more than 75% open, and at least 25% forest. And but that forest can be can be edge. It, it can be uh, you know um, on on hillsides, down in the riparian areas. So utilize your ter- all. I'm suggesting is utilize your terrain. Uh, and it may be you have some of the 40 acres that's currently open might be some steep ground or, or 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 difficult ground that might ought to go back to forest that that's that's what we've done here we when we came here we had 160 acres open and we actually planted 60 acres in and trees on on difficult land to um you know to, to bring to bring back the forest on difficult land and so uh so if you kind of use um uh, kind of the, the, the quality of land in your terrain, as a rule of thumb, it will help protect you from just knocking everything down, but having a, a strategic plan to increase the diversity. I call it the mosaic, the, the, the mosaic of your landscape. So you have these beautiful uh, uh, turns and terrain moves with your forest and open land.
4: Right like you protect like we have like, like uh, northern uh, big winds, like, uh, you, you know, use the trees like a, a break from the, the winds from the, the, the northern parts. And like uh, for every, we have a lot of creeks and a lot of water just just brought it here from the areas where you love of, uh, erosion and like that.
2: That's a great question. I, I really enjoyed that one. We will move on. The We have one more question probably before we end the formal part of the night. Uh, this one's from Kevin Lindell. He does not have a mic or video. Um, looking for suggestions to curtail the growth of buck, rut, buck brush, which is becoming prevalent in a couple pastures of in my area.
0: Okay, well, that's a weed question. Um, we should have my daughter on here. Um, she wrote a article on managing weeds. Um, she's 14 when she wrote it. And it got published in the Stockman Grass Farmer um, and in the Canadian Cattleman. so we should have her answering that question, but she's not here, so I guess I'll start. Um, basically, any type of what people call weeds, um, I call them pioneer species, they come in when conditions are harsh, they heal the land, um, there's some condition that's favoring them. So we need to figure out why it's being favored. Right? What conditions? Is it dry? Is it lack of nutrients? Is it uh, being overgrazed? What is the conditions? And if we change those conditions, then we have uh, more desirable species take over. So um, I'm pretty confident that there isn't really a weed I can't outgraze if I really set my mind to it. Right? Um, as long as I follow my grazing concepts, right? I don't want to have a, sh- a shorter graze period, a longer rest period. I want to have good animal impact. I want to have good stock density. Um, And I want to build a good soil armor to to hold on to moisture. So um, I get the question all the time of different weeds all over the country, weeds that I have, weeds that I don't have. It's always the same answer, right? We manage for the concepts. We favor the conditions for the desired species to take over. Um, That's, you know, doesn't really matter what the weed is. That's that's the solution for it.
1: Yeah, I I could just add a little bit. Um, Sometimes it, sometimes... It depends on where you're starting from. Uh, for example, here in Virginia, in the Shenandoah Valley, uh, this this silvopair, uh, which was which greeted the Europeans when they came, um, was was broken in about 17 1770, and uh, for 200 years, um, until our family came in 1961, it was plowed. And uh, and so over those 200 years, it lost some three to eight feet of topsoil down to the Chesapeake Bay. Uh, that is, and, and we're a lot farther south, so we have a longer growing season than, you know, than uh, Alberta, than Canada, most of Canada. So uh, where I'm going with this is that sometimes, sometimes uh, applications on the land, and application is everything from grazing to soil amendment to uh, you know, whatever, uh, uh, applications on the land can have different effects based on uh, on your starting point. So here on our farm, we started in an incredibly degenerated place, a lot farther down uh, than, for example, you do up in Alberta and Saskatchewan, where uh, where the settlement was later than it is here, and it's farther north. And so the the soils are a little more forgiving because they contain a little more organic matter. Because the, the season's shorter, longer, longer winter to knock to lock those organic matter in. So the farther you go south, the easier it is to burn out organic matter because the season's longer. And so, so an abusive management policy in the south, you know, uh, uh, um, can abuse the soil faster. What I'm getting at is <clears throat> that that I think. You can go to a place where um, where there can, for example, we have here uh, what's called multiflora rose, and we have autumn olive. Both of them were brought in by the uh, Department of Agriculture uh, for uh, wildlife wildlife um, uh, enhancement, and and they are, they are pretty tough things. Um, birds spread the seeds. They're opportunistic, obviously there's no better protection than a thick sod. How do you get a thick sod? Well, with good grazing management, but some, sometimes what I'm getting at is sometimes the cows need a little bit of help. And so um, so we're not averse to some some uh, chopping out, some mattocking, uh, you know, once in a while, a, a mowing uh, just to try to, come alongside the cows and help the cows do what they do what they do. All I'm suggesting is that the that, that different conditions in different contexts and different weeds in different contexts can you know um, can require different remedies uh, and and those remedies are everything from grazing to uh, to a hand mattock. We never spray, we never herbicide uh, and we never, we never look at the weed as the problem. The weed is a symptom of something else. And normally they come from a lack of, of proper management. Uh, but if you're if you're in a position where you have a situation that's so bad uh, that the cows can't handle it by themselves, sometimes you gotta come in and help the cows, help the cows move the succession forward.
0: Excellent, excellent. Okay, well, we are past our deadline. Um, we're going to wrap things up here. I would like to thank Joel Salatin uh, very, very much for for joining us here tonight. Uh, appreciate all his wisdom, and I'm honored to be working with him. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, Grow for helping us out here, and uh, and everybody for for attending.